Welcome, everybody, to Heads and Tails. We are here for the month of October. Beautiful downtown Concord. It's a lovely evening. Yeah. Not too humid. Just the right amount of love in the air, Will. Well, fall is finally here. <laughs> it's been way too hot. That's true. Uh, you know who's not here, though, is Beverly, the great Beverly. Maybe that's why it's so nice out. Maybe that's why. <laughs> the God is shining down upon us. He's like, finally, you guys right. can get out from underneath of Beverly's very intense the matriarchal... S- the sweltering... Foot, right? <laughs> Bevo just stepping on us. That's true. That's true. Uh, anyway, she's sick, so uh, there's no uh, video of right. this show. She's sick. She's air quote air sick. Quotes. Yeah. Well, uh, so we're doing this a little bit early, recording a little bit early, and she just got back from JBF. Right. And so, so uh, the air quotes are even bigger now. I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have a, a session recording yesterday, so she's That's got correct. how many day long weekends? <laughs> Just long enough to get sick. Hmm, right. uh, I was looking forward to talking with her, honestly, because uh, she hates GABF. She hates yeah. it. Absolutely hates it. And uh, but she goes. Well, and, uh, it's her job. You know, well, yeah, it's her job, but you know, she goes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, we were chatting a little bit, uh, you know, before she left, and and she's like, "Man, I I really hate it because like we still never spring for like carpeting in the booth. It's just the concrete. Oh yeah, and it's a grind, man. Because you're usually I don't know what half mile, maybe three quarters of a mile, maybe a mile away from the convention center, you where the hotel is. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're walking." concrete you walk all the way through the convention center which is a labyrinth of you know whatever of concrete and then you stand on concrete all day especially saturday is the worst and then you right. go and you get food and you're walking all around downtown denver and it's just it's a long uh, time but apparently freeman the um yes the, the people who like load in and like right. you know the union the folks company. there yeah. you go uh made a mistake and gave them carpeting <laughs> really? Yeah. The whole booth got, yeah, got carpet. Apparently. And wow. then and uh, I go, wow, that's cool. I'm texting her and she goes, my feet still hurt though. <laughs> like, well, I don't know what to say to that, man. She even has less of an excuse to be sick. That's true. She got carpeting all week. Maybe that's what did it though. Oh, all the germs in the carpet? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's exactly what did it. I have uh, seen her laying down on the floor at GABF because of the... Uh, <laughs> Hard floor issues. She's crazy, dude. Yeah. Bev is a crazy person. Get better so we can see you next time. That's true. Beverly. That's correct. But we have a good show for you guys today, of course, as always. We have Mr. Earl Brown here from Wright and Brown Distilling Company out of Oakland, California. Earl, how you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming out. I mean, it's uh, such a lovely day. It's, it's nice out here. I bet it's even nicer in Oakland right now. It was oh, hot yeah. over there today. Yeah? Oh, really? What's hot? Like 75? Uh, no, I mean, it was uh, probably in the low 80s. Oh, geez. In the warehouse, it was burning hot, though. We were up oh, on, the, on the ceiling and the second level a little bit, dealing with some barrels, and it 10 degrees hotter up there. So No one likes that, dude. Yeah, I don't miss warehouse days. Those are not, those are not something I, I reflect fondly upon. <laughs> <laughs> you, reflect, you reflect fondly on not having to be in the warehouse. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, that's true. Well, shit, you got me. Yeah. Maybe now... Uh, wow. You have, a, you have a positive thought? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, something like that. Uh, Earl, well, let's get right into your spirits and uh, and your story. How long have you been uh, distilling? How long have, uh, have you been making some good stuff out of some uh, food? Uh, you know, <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> let's break it down. Well, we've been in production now for three years in oakland um 
it was a, a long road getting started. We yeah. we uh, pulled the permits and built out the space. It took us about two years before that. So three years of production now and a year and a half of sales. Wow. Awesome. How long uh, previous to you guys opening up, have you been messing around with distillation and, and learning There's about it? There's definitely some messing around going on. <laughs> As I was telling Warren, you know, it's not like brewing. You're not allowed to do it at home. You can't set up a still and just start running it. Um, right, right. It's all theory. It's all in theory. It's, yeah. uh, you know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have a friend or a winery or somebody like that who has a still to make brandy, who lets you uh, experiment on it, that can mm. be a useful way to learn. Um, okay. Are those different stills? Uh, I, th- I thought I remember a previous guest suggesting right. that brandy stills are kind of different than like a whiskey still. Yeah, well, there definitely are traditional brandy stills, but, you know, people use all different kinds of stills. We've actually used our Vendome copper pot still to... Um, make a few small batches of brandy as well. Oh, okay. Since we got operational. <laughs> oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Did you go to any formal training or was it all just kind of hands-on learning? You know, this definitely hands-on learning yeah? from, from us. Yeah, no formal training. Um, Dan was a had been a distiller for about 12 years before we got going. Dan's your partner? Dan Wright, my partner. Yeah. Okay. He um, had been dabbling in distilling for quite a long time and made some really amazing small batches that had a good following with friends and family, and um. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually the case, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Is it is it like uh, is it like homebrew where uh, people go, oh, this is really good, and then it sits in the back of their cabinet for four years, and then you go, hey, did you ever try that pumpkin, uh, you know, pumpkin latte oatmeal spice cookie stout I ever made you four years ago? And you're like, oh yeah, it was really good. Go home and drop it down the drain. As right. Yeah. Right. Or or our spirits kind of different like that. I think there's definitely um, a lot of the, a lot of that out there. There's a lot of experimentation that can go can go wrong. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some experiences like that. So. Yeah. What have you? Uh, what's the the weirdest thing you've experimented with, and um, and well, why would you never do it again? We've definitely. Um, gone far and wide looking for interesting grains, um, trying to work with local farmers to um, grow unique grains and um, distill them out. But every grain you have to treat differently with your uh, fermentation distillation. So Mm. we've had some local California corn bourbons go sideways for unknown reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Corn bourbon? Well, you know, bourbon is a corn-based whiskey, but uh, using, you know, working with... uh, small local farmers to to grow uh right over here i've got a a little jar of this is called a uh, bloody butcher corn it's a old Whoa. red heirloom varietal that was used to make bourbon you know in the old days and wow um, we've we've got a few farmers seed crop or cropping it out and we've experimented with that a little bit and so- that one i can't say whether it's going to be um you know, a good experiment or a bad experiment. Yeah, still barrel aging. Oh, that's the that's the thing about this uh, the whiskey side of these experiments is that it takes a long time to know right. whether you've uh, nailed it or failed it. So absolutely, you but, know, and and reading through the notes and, and talking to you a little bit before the show, it, it, you guys are kind of doing that whole let's revitalize, let's use different ingredients than everybody else is doing. Like you said, the heirloom varietals. Absolutely. Can you talk um, a little about that and, and, and what what made you kind of gravitate towards well bloody butcher corn of all things? Well, I which mean, which looks great. It's they honestly it's they look like stuff. they yeah. look like dried pomegranate seeds. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. But it smells like corn. <laughs> it smells like corn. <laughs> Actually, but it is kind of like 
I don't know, earthier or or uh, it does have a bit starchier, of a maybe. Yeah, of, that's not in just yellow sweet corn. Yeah. Well, you know, Dan and I both grew that's up cool. in rural Humboldt County. Um, on you know, kind of, uh, I grew up on a cattle ranch and farm with apple orchards and pear trees, and we did a lot of um, home brewing and cider making. Oh wow! Um, every okay. year, you know, right. my parents would do it, and we, my brothers and I, got into doing it later on. Um, so. I think getting this idea of reconnecting with that, you know, the the country lifestyle and the the ranch and trying to um, bring that into this business that, that was a big part of why I got involved or was got excited about it was um, you know keeping that connection with the with the land and um, trying to um, you know develop some interesting products that way. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Was it an air quote cattle ranch, or was it an actual cattle <laughs> ranch? Humboldt County, but there that's is what I'm a lot saying. Of cattle production. Up there, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, so we turned a quarter of one of our hay fields into a rye field a couple of years ago. Wow, we've been growing for the distillery. For the distillery. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, and your parents are managing that. It sounds like. Well, no, I mean, I go up and work with the farmer. So there, we have a. A great uh, local farmer, Lawrence Hindley from um, Hindley Ranch, who uh, his family has owned land and, and farmed and ranched there for 100-plus years. And they actually grew grain in the Matole Valley where I grew up um, 100 years ago. But grain, like all commodities, you know, became really uncompetitive on mm-hmm. a small scale like that with uh, industrial agriculture. And so they stopped doing that a long time ago, but... I've recently started trying to reintroduce it for local breweries and bakeries up there. Okay. And so up the valley from our ranch, uh, Lawrence was growing wheat and barley, um, and we, you know, convinced him to try growing some rye on our place. And it worked out really nicely. Yeah, and he was into it, and you guys are into it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is he uh, growing production as you guys are growing, or are you having to look elsewhere? Oh, absolutely. We we work with some farmers up around Sacramento, too, um, and uh, we get some locally grown organic rye up there. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're working with other farmers as well. But that, that project has a really is near and dear to, to my heart because it's a little town I grew up in and want to, you know, keep that connection going. Sure. That is really cool that you can go back and, 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 and well, like you said, keep the connection. I mean, it's, it's harder to, to put it in a better term than that. Absolutely. It's, you know, someday we'd like to build a little malt house up there, um, like a farm malt house and, you know, do some heirloom production, grain production that would, you know, to create some unique varietals um, and whiskey styles. Uh, one thing we're, we're working on right now is seed cropping out um, some heirloom barleys. Uh, one we've worked on is bear barley, which is a, an ancient grain from Orkney in Scotland <clears throat> that was used in the Middle Ages to make beer and whiskey. Where are you from? Like, what planet are you? Like, you, you're just this, like, an, an alternate dimensional being crossing over and getting stuck here. Like, who? I, mean, I think I got, I, got ex- I got excited about the idea of, uh, you know, how the, the grain varietal, the particular grain varietal, informs the flavor of the whiskey. And we're, we're going to see if that bears out. I mean, yeah. we've definitely seen differences, but there are so many factors that go into making a barrel of whiskey mm-hmm. from the type of equipment you use to the duration of fermentation, the type of yeast you use. Right. So um, how can you tell? Well, I guess you try to keep some control on those other variables <laughs> as much as possible and right. hope that it comes out well. And if it does, you know, it's exciting. Yeah. Are you guys using uh, any malted grains that are grown locally or are you just using raw yeah, so one of the 
most exciting projects we've done um, recently is uh, this year we had um, we got eight thousand pounds of malted barley malted for us out at Admiral Maltings in Alameda. They're oh, a new, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, floor malting operation that got started late last year, and they're the first uh, new malt house in California, I think, in a hundred years or so. Um, I believe. Oh, wow. Uh, wow, that's new. crazy. Yeah, there was one operating four or five decades ago. But, yeah. Um, and they do traditional floor malting with some modern techniques as well. Um, but uh, we grew grain. We grew barley in, up in the Matul Valley, and we brought it down, and they malted it out for us. And we're making a um, grain, to, a farm-to-table, farm-to-bottle single malt whiskey with it right now. Jeez. Wow. So. And how long is it going to take for for you to figure out if these, like, heirloom grains – are worth the hassle. It sounds like a lot of hassle <laughs> to me. So a, a guy who, I'm who maybe you know, my, lives like, in a I am hoping maybe my grandkids city. at some point can can look back and decide whether it was worth the hassle. <laughs> I don't know that I'll that it'll, uh, it'll you know in my in my time here. No, you don't clear. think so. Like in all the uh, <laughs> No, I'm joking, but you know it's uh, certainly it's it's an exciting interesting project. Um, yeah. We are continuing to make our rye whiskey and bourbon with you know the standard mash bills that we use um, and we'll keep doing that. But I think we'll make some, you know, heirloom batches that we'll sell out of our tasting room that we're hoping to build out this year. Yeah. um, Early next year and maybe get some distribution for it too. But you're talking about really small volumes. I mean, with these heirloom, I I got 25 seeds from the sustainable seed company and (laughs) I I seed cropped it out and, you know, had, uh, you know, Ten thousand after the first year, and I think I have three hundred thousand or so now. <laughs> rough, rough estimate. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so, how much whiskey will you get out of oh, that? I mean, four bottles. <laughs> right. We're like a we're we're a year or so away from really planting out a few acres of it. Okay. And we do all dry farm organic um, grain production on the ranch, so mm. you don't have big yields per acre not yeah. a lot of bushels per acre <laughs> right so this is this is i mean literally a labor of love like you Absolutely. love you farming's yeah. in your blood you know the the ingredients you're kind of tied to the land in that way and uh and you love what you do yeah absolutely that's a that's a really exciting part of it for me so do you think people are 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 into that? Like, do you think that that that? I hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that was a. That's dumb also question. a part of the experiment. Yeah, well, this is a, yeah, right. Let's find out. <laughs> but like that, you know that that. I mean, every business has a story, right? And and a lot of a lot of what we we do, there's there's we're trying to sell the story of who we are and, and our personality and, and our product is good too and whatever. But this is like the backstory. To your guys' story, and and do you, do you think that do you find that people are are keying into that? And it, I think you know, let's just say in the industry in general, are people do you have to find these kind of uh, deeper levels to connect with your audience, or are you just you don't even care? Are you, you're just doing it because you're having fun? Yeah, I think the I mean our our standard products um, we're integrating some of our locally grown grain into them, but we also use a lot of just high quality non GMO malts from all over the place. So, mm. You know. Um, but you know, it's that's the passion. There's a real passion side to it for us there. You know, Dan and I both grew up in that part of rural Humboldt County. Um, we both want to keep that connection going, and um, so it's uh, it's exciting to to develop that. But yeah. certainly, we're going to keep making our our standard rye and bourbon as well because you know we can't count on it necessarily. Not everything's uh, going to go. Worthwhile. I mean, right? We we end up paying three to four times as much. For the grain 
you know, that comes out of that process. For sure. So. Yeah, not everything's going heirloom. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be I mean, crazy. I think there's definitely a movement all, you know, around all around the world towards, you know, unique interesting ingredients that, you know, um can be talked about and um have their different characteristics described and Yeah. You know, but I think it's an, it's certainly a niche market. I'm I'm assuming so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would I would probably say that that's right. Yeah, yeah. until you can plant seven thousand acres, and they can be a bit more mass market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we have, have to move down to the Central Valley for that. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we have some other grain uh, in front of us. What what do you have in these little jars? Well, this is this right here is the um, this is an Irish distiller's malt, so kind of a base malt for our. Um, bourbon and rye okay uh, we use in our rye we use 70 percent rye 30 percent malted barley this is a a, a wireman's pill um rye malt and that's the majority of our mash bill for our rye whiskey um, these are high quality old malt houses that you know get a great flavor for distilled spirits uh, grain what's the difference between excuse me distiller's malt and like a brewer's malt well i mean there, there are a lot of things that, you know, brewers are concerned with. The distillers aren't as concerned with, you know, color and um, some of these things. But uh, mm. distillers malt, you know, a lot of it's about the quality of the malt um, and and the the flavor for us. The flavor, yeah, is very important. You find the difference. I ate some. I hope that was okay. <laughs> oh. Actually, no, that was our, our only heirloom. Ooh. That was a 25 seeds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm killing right, my business. Right here, this, is the malt, this is the rye we grew up in Humboldt. So you can see oh, okay. It's can I eat that? I'm, I'm or is it going to kill the guys me? over at Admiral to, to learn how to malt rye as well. <laughs> they don't do rye? Not yet. So mm. okay. I think they've experimented with it a little bit. But And so what? Uh, what's the difference between malted and unmalted <laughs> rye when it comes to actually... One's malted, in the whiskey. Dude. Oh, sorry. Um, well, you know, obviously with the unmalted rye, you're most likely to be using added enzymes, mm-hmm. uh, lab-grown enzymes to do your conversion. With our rye whiskey, we um, built the mash bill around um, having a good load of malted barley to do that conversion for us. So we don't do ad- any added enzymes in the rye. Um, and... Uh, You'll have a little bit softer spice character. So a rye, as opposed to a a bourbon, rye is known to have that spicy characteristic, a little Mm -hmm. bit of pepper, a little bit of uh, baking spice, cinnamon, clove. And with uh, the the higher content of malted rye, higher percentage of malted rye, that um, soft kind of baking spice character of the rye is going to come out more Hmm. in the sharpness. It's more prominent with the malted rye. Well, yeah, I would say kind of like a – you know, a more mellow baking spice character rather than a sharper kind of biting you know, pepper spice. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And do you use uh, a mixture of the two? We do, right? Yeah. Okay. So we're at seventy percent um, rye, but we we're using um, you know ten percent or so of the locally grown um, unmalted rye in the mash. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, let's try some. I guess, yeah, that's <laughs> our first one, right? Yeah. That's let's, number one. That sounds that sounds good to me. So this is the rye whiskey. And uh, this is what you might call a Pennsylvania-style rye. So there's no corn in the mash bill, and we don't use a column still. So it makes for quite a different character from the rye they make in Kentucky and Indiana. Oh, okay. All right. Pennsylvania ryes were famous style of rye that was made in the early 19th century to late 19th century before uh, 
you know, the big operations in Kentucky and Indiana started to outpace them in production and be able to lower the prices and make, <laughs> make a nice quality product too, but it's a different character. For sure. So it's renowned to be a little heavier body, richer character of the green coming through. Is that a protected uh, it's term? Not, it's not. No. Uh, we don't put it on our bottle, though. Oh, okay. This is an Oakland-style ride. There you go. It's kind of similar to the, the Pennsylvania style. What drew you to uh, to this style versus the Kentucky? Well, really, it was um, the, the kind we made and sort of put it together that it was much closer to that style mm. after the fact. So. I see. So you were you didn't target the Pennsylvania no, we style? We weren't okay. That is a different style. Yeah, it does taste different. I didn't think it would, to be honest. With you. Like, how different can it be? Come on. Yeah, it definitely does have a bit more body than I was expecting it to have. It does, and, and almost a um, like a, 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 a well, a grainy character. Hmm. Like from like, it, 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 maybe it helped because I'm smelling the rise, the the actual grains. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm maybe it's my brain worms. But I'm you know I I I think some of that can kind of come through that earthy, not necessarily a spiciness from the rye, but like an earthy quality. Hmm. Um, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Just to someone say yes, please. Yes, thank you. Total I mean, sense. Yeah, more. Thank you very <laughs> I, much. I definitely think the fact that we're chewing on the grain next it time helps a little bit. Right. That as well. Yeah. That's that's Earl being really nice and telling me I'm full of shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're wrong, but it's okay. Yeah, but it's fine because you know <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do? I really, I really like this. I really yeah. like it because it's it has a lot of body, but it's soft. It's not super mm. in your face, but there is that spice, um, and it kind of hits more in the back of my my tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, but that soft, sweet grain just comes through, man. That is really good, and it really complements wow. the uh, the wood character in this. What kind of uh, barrels are you using? So we use all new charred um, white oak for the for our whiskeys. Um, well, a single malt we use, we're using a mix of new and used oak. Um, but the, for the rye and bourbon, um, we're using – these batches come out of a blend of quarter casks and 30-gallon barrels, I was uh, mentioning before. And that's, um, that's because you know we don't want to wait five years for our first whiskey release. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, uh, we, didn't, we really didn't want to rush anything out of our big barrels. So we've, we're putting aside half our production in 200-liter, 53-gallon barrels. Um, and then, you know, our early batches are coming out of this, a mix of, uh, quarter casks and thirties. Uh, the quarter casks we age for 20 months or so and the, the 30 gallon barrels for 26 months or so on average. Are they both, uh, toasted and or charred the same way? They're, they're new charred white oak. So, um, air dried staves and, uh, char three is what okay. we tend to work with. So, which is a used to be called a heavy char. Now it's kind of a medium char because people are really pushing the char level. <laughs> okay. I basically just age it in a briquette. I hollow a briquette right. out. And I, right. Yeah. I dig your labels, dude. You are really, you are really, uh, there's no question that you are from Oakland. You're part of Oakland and, and you're really, you're really keying in on that. And I, I like that. I mean, if you're going to well, be, if you're going to be a local place. Absolutely. Go for it, we man. Were, uh, when we opened I for production, that. there had never been a legal distillery in Oakland, as far as I know. So, really? Yeah. Wow, you guys were the first. Yeah, I mean, That's the, first, cool, man. the first, certainly since Prohibition, when you look back at Oakland mm. 100 years ago, it was mm-hmm. a little bit of a backwater. There were a few breweries. Um, yeah. There was actually a brewery a few blocks from the distillery that had its own malt house, and um, but they only lasted for 10 years before Prohibition knocked them out. So. Oh, geez. Oh. 
You say on the uh, on the label uh, milled mash fermented distilled barrel aged bottled on site. Why is that important? Well, um, you know there are a lot of there are a lot of products out there that are sourced products that um, kind of have the you know, sold as being you know sort of a craft product, but mm-hmm. come out of uh, the big operations in Indiana and Kentucky that you know generally they're going to be more or less the same thing from one to the next, and um, it's a little bit of a battle because it can be hard for the average consumer to um, to see the difference. You know, if you're if something is advertised as local and sold as a local story, but has or as a craft story, but has um, you know all the whiskeys just brought in in barrels or totes from you know industrial facilities mm-hmm. in Indiana. Um, it uh, it makes for you know a little bit of con- confusion on the consumer side. So we're sure. we want to be clear that you know we're a grain to glass distillery and you know very small batches. I mean our first batch of rye was only nine hundred bottles. Um, wow. The second one was uh, twenty three hundred, and that was too big for us. It actually didn't even fit in our proofing tank, so we had to <laughs> proof it in two two sets. So, wow. Um, yeah. It, okay. It's important to call it out. I think that you know we we do it all in house because yeah that informs the, the fact that it's going to be a different character and style and that you know it's part of why it, it's a little more expensive on the shelf. I mean, to be absolutely honest, you know, it, it helps explain that. So. Do you well, think? Sorry, go ahead, Will. I was going to say uh, the bottle says it's a ninety proof. Um, did you guys uh, pick that on purpose? Because typically you see a lot of whiskey down at eighty. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we picked that based on taking the dumping spirits out of barrels or actually taking samples and just trying it at different proofs and testing it out with our friends and seeing where people liked it. Okay. Um, higher alcohol level can mask the flavor uh, for some people. Um, if you drink a lot of whiskey, you tend to start <laughs> gravitating to the higher proof stuff. Okay. So, Weird. I mean, I, uh, yeah. I was it's a, because of the flavor. Right. I think there's a program to help you with it. <laughs> yeah. I was at a craft spirits uh, event or a whiskey event, and I had a, a bottle of our cask strength, you know, a little sample of it on the mm. side. And all the other distillers who tasted that were like, "Oh, I like that one." You know, it was the same <laughs> stuff, but it was 115 <laughs> proof, right? Um, yeah. You know, if your palate is adjusted for the high level of ethanol, then you can taste the, you can still taste the flavor behind it. But for the average drinker out there who wants, you know, to try some local whiskey, and yeah, um, you know, you want to definitely kind of strike a balance there. Um, what happens when okay. you go the other way? How does it affect the the flavor? Like when what? you go down and proof? Yeah, right. If this was at eighty, just taste watered down. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> taste yeah, Warren. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I guess I should have known. <laughs> I mean, That's absolutely. Delicious. You know, I it's, like it's that. Literally, everything is watered down, not just the ethanol. So the the, the character, the flavor of the whiskey itself is watered down. You're drinking, mm-hmm. you know, between 115 proof and 90 proof, something like 30% water. So the flavor of the grain coming through in the barrel and all that character is, is all lessened. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking for a distiller to just take all the water out. I just want a syrup or like a hard, like, um, <laughs> Well, you, you can know, taste one of our, our rums here in, in a little while. That's, uh, this is a, um, has barely any water added to it. So uh, <laughs> oh, pretty well, there you go. <laughs> let's, let's jump right now. No, kidding. <laughs> Uh, I I really like that. I really really like that rye whiskey. That's really good. Yeah, I'm excited about all the other barrel aged <laughs> yeah, spirits. Me now. too, man. Me that too. One's really nice. Uh, let's move on to the next one then. So this is a bourbon. Bourbon is an American whiskey um, made from corn, 
predominantly. So 50% plus, 51% or more uh, corn in the mash bill. Ours is, we like rye. <laughs> we made a lot of rye. It's our main product, but we, uh, so our bourbon also has a pretty high rye content, in this case 23% um, and 12% malted barley. Um, okay. And um, once again, this has some of our locally grown rye and barley in the in the mix. Okay. Any of the uh, the red corn? Not in this one. Not in this one. Okay. No, we uh, like with that. the Bloody Butcher we're we're working on a um, you know small production run that'll be focused on that corn entirely. So we're not okay. blending that one across the, the batches. Well, <laughs> Warren, I expect to, us to take a trip out there when that is released. Yeah, the Bloody Butcher. Yeah, I'm ready. And this is a. Like I I'm tell ready. people, this is a it's a pot still bourbon, so it's a lot different than the stuff you taste from Kentucky and Indiana, where it's it all is. made in cob stills. It's it has a, a <clears throat> excuse me, like a fruity nose. It's mm-hmm. very fru- not very fruity, but it's uh, more fruity than I would I would guess I would have expected. Right, and, and and that same fruitiness, almost like what is it like a pear apricot kind of thing? I don't know. To me, it's just kind of like matters, but the sweet corn sugar. Okay. Kind of flavor, that flavor, but you're smelling it, mm. and and I do get it in the uh, flavor, mm-hmm. but it's not cloying at all. It's just there. So you're saying it's probably a grain. Well, my guess is that a it's, grain residual. Well, it also could be uh, like how uh, Earl was saying, the pot still versus the column still. Earl is, that- is Warren full of shit. No, I don't think okay. so. I, right. I think um, <laughs> damn, that I mean, fifty-fifty shot. We don't own a column still, but my understanding is that. It, um, they recover a lot more alcohol, including a lot of the, you know, more tailsy alcohol, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, that'll change the flavor. I mean, it's a, it's refined to a far higher degree. Um, in the case of, you know, those column still bourbons, they're drawing a lot more f- of the flavor and character from the barrels. There are guys down in, you know, Kentucky say that the, the barrel contributes sixty to seventy percent of the flavor, and I think ours is, wow. uh, you know, and. And that it's a good flavor. It's just uh, in our case, I think the grain does the character of the grain comes through a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one, another thing that's a little different: we don't we don't chill filter any of our spirits. So, uh, chill filtration is a little bit of a buzz hot topic right now. Um, it's a process where you cool your spirits down after dumping them from the barrels to below you know around thirty degrees. And wow! It, ca- it causes the um, some of the oils and esters to flocculate to kind of clump up, mm-hmm. and then you run it really slowly through a plate filter and um, take those out. But um, in doing so, hmm. Dan and I think you throw out some of the flavor and character too. Oh, certainly, I, I would think for sure diminish the mouthfeel. Um, so how do you get all of those proteins and things that kind of cloud well, up we in don't. the bottle? <laughs> well, there aren't any uh, in the bottom of the there. bottle. And so occasionally if you leave our bottle in, in a cold room for a couple of days, there will be some cloudiness form in it. Hmm. Oh, really? If okay. you give it a good shake, it goes away. It goes back huh. into, you know. Oh. Uh, okay. But do you do any sort of filtration at all? We do a particulate filter to take the chunks of charcoal from the barrel out. That's <laughs> oh, okay. Just, <laughs> just looking for actual charcoal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, you know, it's the same on the on the brewing side, right? Where f- any sort of filtration that's kind of that tight is gonna you're you're just gonna take out some flavors. It, it's yeah. going to taste different, regardless. Yeah. It's just a cost benefit analysis of yeah. whether or not what you're removing is worth losing 
right. a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean, in our case, we I guess we're lucky to be in Oakland and the San Francisco Bay Area where people are open to reading a little deeper into things about why they may, might be why they are. Um, yeah. People have been exposed to natural wine for a long time here, um, maybe just some cloudy beers. Um, so the idea isn't completely foreign that, you know, there would be a little bit of cloudiness forming. Mm-hmm. So you're saying we're higher educated than most people, and I appreciate that. Well, right. You know, you're not wrong. We, we waste more time thinking about food and, and <laughs> wine. <and spirits. laughs> That's true. It's the real details that matter. How was this filtered? Uh, sir, your rent is four weeks over. I know, but the filtration. Have you seen how clear this whiskey is? <laughs> Get away from me, landlord. <laughs> Uh, again, I really, I really enjoy that. Yeah, I really enjoy this bourbon. And so the the barrel aging technique is very similar uh, between the rye and the bourbon. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's delicious. It's light. Mm-hmm. It's not you know super sweet. Kind of crisp. There's the sweetness there. Very pleasant. Yeah, it's got a really nice. Uh, Corn fruity roundness to it, yeah. That that is definitely not in the the kind of column stilled bourbons that I get to try a lot of, more of. <laughs> I prefer uh, this. Yeah, Which, I, yeah. I, I agree. I, I mean, I got to interject. They're they're great bourbons. Sure. Oh sure. And, no, I'm not and, saying that they're bad. It's just yeah. it, side by side. If I'm picking which one I would want to drink more of. It would be this style. Well, it's, that's good. It's yeah, like yeah, um, good for you. Yeah, yeah. If, let's make a beer analogy. It's like a Meriton versus like a fast beer, right? Right. Yes, except I would tend to come of course down I'm on wrong. the sides of uh, fest beer instead of Meritz. Well, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Like so, this would for me would be like a fest beer. There's still a lot of malt flavor, but it's not super heavy like a Meritz or right. like an Oktoberfest, right? Yeah, but you're going the opposite direction. Fuck, I'm stupid. Because the other type of bourbon is li- lighter, thinner taste. I don't think drier. so. You think this tastes drier and, and lighter bodied? Yeah. Than some of the bourbons I've had, yeah. The, the, the ones I'm maybe, thinking of. Maybe, maybe we're, we're not having of, the same bourbons. Oh, we're definitely not, probably. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm at like tier 10 and you're like tier 4 still. Cause right, when 4 is the better tier. No, the other way around. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah uh, just some of the bourbons I've had, um, the, specifically what I'm thinking of in comparison with this, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm comparing it with kind of these heavier, sweeter bourbons and okay. that's what i thought you were saying also oh I, i'm comparing it to more just like the super dry uh boozy kind of just bitter oak bourbon let's have a terrible bourbon taste off because <laughs> i, I want to kind of get on your wave for a second <laughs> yeah yeah that we can be in the middle you can bring your tier 10 let's do and it i'll bring my tier four and we'll, we'll what is that a tier seven? seven yeah uh what's next earl in our riveting tier talk Let's get to tier seven. <laughs> well, I think next in line here we have our first uh, taste of rum. Oh, oh yeah, see, like there it. we go. Mixing it up. I like rum. I'm on a rum kick, dude. I like it. Yeah. yeah so Dan and I, the people ask us all the time why we decided to make rum and still can't exactly say <laughs> that, that there's like a, there was a light bulb that went off or something, but we both, <laughs> we both really loved rum, um, you know, and we love the idea of, Making a rum in the style like a, a double pot still style uh, without without including um, so a lot of the pot still rums from the Caribbean have uh, column still rum blended into them and some of that same character that you you get out of the the column still bourbons I think you get out of the column still rums which is a distilled to a, a much cleaner lighter 
in my opinion, character. Um, and then they have to be aged for a really long time. And often they have to then add uh, sweeteners and coloring and um, all kinds of things to uh, bring out the rum character again. Many rums are distilled out to, you know, close to 190 proof, um, 180 proof. Um, and uh, kind of making a vodka and then adding flavoring later to, <laughs> <laughs> to make it taste like rum again. Um, so we, you know, this is this is uh, double distilled on our Vendome copper pot still. Um, and uh, this is from grade A blackstrap molasses made in Georgia, non-GMO. And um, we get it in totes. And uh, we do one or two production runs of rum a year because mm. so far we haven't seen um, – <laughs> A huge market for high-end <laughs> sipping, American <laughs> sipping rooms. We'd love mm. to see that grow more. Yeah. Well, like if more we'll people had this, yeah, the I market agree. would grow. <laughs> it, it, ta- it smells uh, uh, kind of like a Jamaican rum where that, that, that dunder, that kind of, uh, you know, fermenting banana. Yeah. We were talking about on the rum show. So we had Martin Kate on right. a few shows back, uh, and he ran through a bunch of rums, and, and that turned a light bulb on. For for me, and to me, this has that kind of fruity um, nose of like, um, oh come on, a Martinique mm-hmm. uh, rum, or not to the extent of like that rum fire, which is my favorite no. thing in the world now. But there is a a, a I don't know a fruity fermenting fruit ester in there. It is reminiscent of that. Yeah. I get a, a a lot more kind of butterscotch aromas. Mm. In this, then, then like the rum fire, heavily dundered rum. Do you add anything? No additives. No, this is all. Um, I mean, not additives, but but like uh, I guess like in the Jamaican style, well, they'll they'll like top oh, crop sure. some of the dunder. Whatever, you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Or, yeah, um, rotting fruit. And there bats you go. Yeah, yeah. Falls in there. Yes, <laughs> right, right. I think there's a lot of mythology around uh, the dunder pits. Uh, maybe historically they were a little more gnarly than they are now. But, um, <laughs> there's. Uh, one thing we do to encourage ester production and some of these um, heavy flavors and um, is, is that we, we ferment for 10 days on average with this rum. Okay. Um, so it, the, the longer fermentation encourages some microbial activity in the, the later stages that you know, create acids that then in barrel aging – create some make some of these nice flavors mm. that we that we like so what does the uh different grades of molasses mean because you said you have a and i feel like well, there's I think other there's uh yeah there, grade a is is the top tasting quality you know okay level i mean i i think the lower grades are going to be like cattle feed grades <laughs> oh okay <laughs> but uh that's you that's where you're at is that a grade yeah. b it's a it's a very shallow curve right yeah. <laughs> right it's a a minus a minus oh, okay yeah. Yeah, but a blackstrap molasses is a um, a molasses that's gone through three boilings. Um, so molasses is a byproduct of the crystal sugar making process, and it's been a base for rum for 500 years. Um, it was one of the first commercial ingredients for spirits production um, because the Western world got addicted to sugar in the 1500s or whatever. And Hell yeah. <laughs> Give me some candy right now. And, right. Uh, so there were these huge volumes of, of molasses being produced, and, and they figured out a way to, to use it in a really amazing way, which is to, to ferment it and then distill it into rum. And uh, so uh, you, you boil the, the, cane, the, the cane juice and make cane syrup and then boil it again to make molasses. And each level of boiling, you're extracting some of that crystal sugar. But mm-hmm. even after that third boil, 
you um, you still have a lot of residual sugar in the molasses, and you also have all these other flavors, uh, character that's been created in the boiling process. Right, right. So, and are you using the same yeast to do the whiskeys and the rums? We do. We use um, we do we use the same yeast across. We really like the way the yeast worked with the whiskeys, and we wanted to try kind of making a this this drier, you know, savory, rich pot still mm-hmm. rum. Um, do you, do you have to treat the fermentations differently? The fermentations are very, very different. Oh, oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. How's just like fermentation temperature or, or yeah, I mean, pitching rates? Um, or? I think so? the the temperatures don't spike nearly as much with the molasses. It, it kind of can moderate itself a little better. Hmm. Uh, but that, that oh, it's can more of a gradual based, fermentation, that, and long kind of gradual fermentation for con- us or sugar consumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. But I think it, you know every every house has its own methods and techniques mm-hmm. that you know could be different. I mean, some some rum distilleries. Do their fermentation in a couple of days, and they're done. Okay, so just crank the heat and let's but go. We, yeah. we really, you know, believe that, or believe that by keeping those fermentations going long, we're going to, you know, create some unique character and flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I think you're right. <clears throat> I think so, you're right. Um, <laughs> this is great. As a segue, yeah. there, the the next one um, is what we call our Hogo style room. Hogo, as in H O G O. Hogo. And <clears throat> the word Hogo is a is a Creole term. Uh, for oh. a um, it was an old French word that meant high taste, um, and it was used to describe the character that would form um, in like a dry aged game bird or cheese or something like that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that would sort of uh, hang and dry and ferment um, for a long period of time and create these funky, unique, uh, interesting notes. That, oh hell yeah! That um, fermented bird. <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, dry aged meat. I mean, yeah. yeah. Dry aged meat. stuff had. going on. There's yeah. microbial activity going on. So, um, this is a, this, this particular bottle here is a single barrel selection that was picked by the, um, the crew at Bitters and Bottles, which is a great bottle shop down in South San Francisco who are very rum focused. I mean, they, they, they do a lot of great spirit, spirits well, but, um, wow. rum is a particular love for them. And they came out and picked this barrel out of our, Single run, single barrel. So this wow. this was one single uh, fermentation and distillation that went into one barrel and aged for two and a half years. Um, it was a recouped Limousin Oak port barrel. Um, recouping is a process where you uh, cut out some of the old charring from the port cask and then retoast and rechar. And in doing so, you uh, expose new wood. Um, you take out most of the port character. Mm-hmm. But not all of it. So there's a little tiny hint of that, but it's nothing like aging in a wine barrel or mm-hmm. port barrel. Okay. Um, you also are taking a quarter to a half inch off the stave thickness, so uh, you have faster oh. oxidization. Okay. Um, you have that new oak exposed or more oak exposed, and it just did a really beautiful job with this with this barrel. And that um, was the only barrel that this rum saw. It, it is. just went straight yeah, into that. That okay. one. And we took the second half of this cask and uh, in collaboration with Bitters and Bottles and finished it for an additional uh, five months in a brandy barrel, a 30-gallon brandy barrel. And is this this the is version? The, this is the first release. So this okay. is, I would say, the more rummy release, like heavier mm. rum character. And it didn't see the brandy It didn't barrel. see the brandy. It okay. didn't get the touch of brandy, and it didn't get the additional five months in oak. Okay. So anyway. Wow. So the, how, <clears throat> this is very this is 100 proof right here. Compared to what was the first one? 90. 90? The first one was 90. Okay. Um, but it was a double pot still approach instead of this long, slow, single pass on the still. In this okay. case, we're, we're fermenting longer. Um, we're distilling straight off the molasses and lees. Um, and so okay. just a huge amount more flavors 
is coming into the, the finished distillate. And it's a really painstaking process <laughs> to do uh, distillation this way. Oh, I sure. I don't recommend it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's economical, um, but... Um, this is are they, fantastic. Yeah. I'm blown away by this thing. Honestly, it's the... Aside from the rum fire, because, you know, right. rum fire is amazing. Eh. This is like the probably the most unique spirit I think I've ever had. I'm being completely genuine about it. Uh, it, it, it. It it tastes the way it smells, and it smells even more intense than the first rum. That kind of rotting fruit, which I know sounds terrible. Don't 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 shop based on this description. Um, it's hogo. It's hogo. There yeah. you go. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's more focused. It's I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's maybe like a little bit of warm cheese kind of flavors, mm. um, like a like a real nice salami. You know, like the outside of a salami uh, before it's cut in, whatever. Uh, But those even don't do it justice because I don't have a vocabulary for this because I've never encountered it. Right. To to me, it combines the things that I liked about the the Rumfire Dunder style with the Martinique style. Oh, okay. Like it's just like if you mash those two up is kind of what I'm getting. And the the combinations that are of like pineapple and, and other uh, like kind of like the overripe banana type yeah. flavors yeah. combined with the wood are just blowing my mind over here. Wow, this is really good. And yeah. so you, this is a high ester rum. I mean, I, I don't have a test mark for it. I was talking to some guys who who do this, and um, the ester level tests the way I understand it, are all done based on ethyl acetate, which is a volatile ester that comes in the early part of the run. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't go for we don't seek out that ester as much as the ones that come at the lower, you know, end of the run. Okay. So And so are these um are these two rums the same up until the distillation process? Yes. Okay, so it's fermentation. And everything no, I, is- no, like I said, the fermentation we do a longer fermentation with this. With this longer style. than the ten days, even we push it a few more, like a day okay. more. Okay, yeah. not a lot longer, but you know, it makes a difference. Uh, is, yeah. is the is the is the alcohol <laughs> content the same? Um, uh, at that so, point, no, so the difference, the main difference here is that the the hogo style, the single the single run style, is we distill it to proof to barrel aging proof. So that'll be like somewhere around 115 proof. Uh, it goes directly in the cask ah, without okay. any water added. Okay. Um, and that's pretty unique. I mean, there there isn't much out there. Like Versus that. the other rum, you'll distill a little bit higher proof, and, to then higher to, proof and have to proof and then you back add, down. Add water to to the barrel strength that we like to use. Okay. And in the rum world, as opposed to the, uh, the whiskey world, there's the the barrel aging proofs are quite a bit more standardized between 100 and 10 and 130 typically right for a whiskey yeah Yeah. but in the rum world there are definitely some some rum distillers out there who are barrel aging at 140 plus okay Uh, even higher in some cases are you kind of in the the whiskey range we keep our barrel barrel proof pretty low okay yeah and it's just something we settled on and liked at a relatively early point and Hmm. it's something that dan had experimented with uh in his you know Early days, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, allegedly, uh, and we, <laughs> allegedly, and we, uh, yeah. So, this one was barrel aged 115 proof, and um, in collaboration with uh, the founders at Bitters and Bottles, we brought it down to just under 100 proof based on 
you know, taste. Wanted sure. to open up that heavy flavor without yeah. overwhelming it with uh, with alcohol, you know, for sure. And the consumers. W- would you recommend consumers add water to it? Or, I mean, I guess it's all personal always. taste. I mean, yeah? no, always. Like, okay. It's always fun to take a, a spirit that you're tasting and, and add water to see how your, your palate reacts to it. How you like it. How yeah. you like it, yeah. absolutely. Would this be an overproof rum? Like if I were to use this in a drink, um, well, it's not over a hundred proof. Um, is that what overproof so, means? I guess I should find that out first before I ask. <laughs> Question one: What does overproof mean? <laughs> um, you know, overproof. I think a hundred proof and up. But you know, typical proof for rum often you're down at eighty to, to ninety proof. So it's okay. definitely high proof. I mean, it's definitely hot compared to the standard yeah. rums out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, Besides, my cheeks are going. Uh, a one-off for you guys or so, the, the fun thing about this product <laughs> is that every single barrel is different i mean we did a single okay. ca- a private cask for uh pagan idol as well oh yeah okay um i still haven't been there and I uh, either and that one was just completely different uh the, the doc parks who was the kind of organized and, and founded pagan idol um he wanted to age it out for a couple of years in a new charred american oak barrel the single mm. run style and it had so much heavy flavor that it, it came out really nicely. You know, mm. often if we took mm. our double pot still rum and aged it for two years in a new oak barrel, it would probably get overwhelmed by the wood. Um, okay. It, it doesn't need the wood like the rye and bourbons do okay. um, quite as much. Um, so, and we, uh, so we've had – we've done quite a bit of different experimentation with this style in terms of barrel aging and – Working with accounts, you know, people, rum people who are interested in, sure. you know, the process and knowledgeable and want to try something. So, so you're you're continuing to make this recipe, just tweaking it a little bit depending on who you're working with. Definitely, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So the heads and tails barrel will be right. Uh, what when, when do we need to start more? this barrel? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, man. Uh, that's yeah. I like that. That's, that's really good. cool. That's really good. And uh, kind of a new spin on well, American rum. Yeah, I have. I've since the rum show. I've been trying to find rums at, at American craft distilleries. Yeah, and I have not had any that have tasted this good. No, to me, a rum is to because we're beer dudes. So I the should, equivalent of for me, a rum is like a, a Kolsch or a Hellas. Mm-hmm. You don't find them anywhere, and when you do, they're kind of not really that good. You know the American yeah. versions, but when they when they hit, they've hit, man. Yeah, I take that back. Uh, Marco's the Charbet one that we had. Oh, yeah, that was good. Was actually very good. Also, that was good. Yeah, this is a completely a different the, animal. A bit on relative to these, I'd say that was a bit sweeter. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, and um, mellow, and and yeah. this is this is very much a, a an entirely different species. Oh yeah, the, 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 the ester profile <laughs> yeah. is way different. Yeah. We call I mean, the funky rum is yeah. another way people describe it. You know? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Just, uh, weirdness that in a good way. Yeah. Absolutely. So is this something that anybody has a chance of finding on the shelf around? Yeah, so this bottle is still available down at Bitters and Bottles in South San Francisco, and you can order it online from them too, I think. Okay. I don't know how many bottles they have left, but nice. uh, still the available. second okay. release of this barrel, so this was a 60-gallon. It was actually, because it was a recoup barrel, it was, I think, 62 wine gallons going in, and uh, – the uh, second half of it that we finished for you know five months in a in a brandy cask of our own you know making um, was uh, we just released a few months ago so they have a lot of that part too okay, okay. Yeah. so we've tasted four spirits but I have a fifth glass 
with some liquid. And there's in more. It. <laughs> what what, uh, what is this? So this is um, something we're real excited about and working on. Um, this is an American single malt. This is a mix of. Um, there's some California malted grain in here and uh, some uh, distiller's malt. Um, and this is uh, aged mostly in, in new charred oak versus uh, used oak, which is a standard in Scotland for making uh, single malt. Okay. Um, so you'll get a little more oakiness. But this one also is distilled to a low proof, um, very little water added to barrel aging, kind of a big, heavy, I guess, high ester flavor profile. Yeah, I mean, it's one hundred and three proof. So. Wow! First of all, wow! <clears throat> it tastes like eating friggin' grain. <laughs> like when you when you take two row, mm. yeah, and you put it in your mouth like like maybe you know it's half a good. handful, and you yeah. just kind of let it hang out a little bit to make you know a little conversion. Where it's very grain heavy. That's true, and I friggin' love it. It's like almost like grain dust, or like the the way the mill room smells when you're milling grain, at like the homebrew shop. Yeah. To me, it's when you, when you wow. chew on some some malted barley. Yeah. After you let the enzymes uh, go to work, like you were saying, after you after you swallow it or spit it out, that leftover lingering malt flavor is what I get. In yes. The and, and I don't know that I've ever gotten that in never a whiskey before. Never. You've never gotten it in a whiskey before. Never. I guarantee it. I wish I got it in a whiskey more <laughs> often. That's really good, man. Wow. And so you said it's mostly new char. What what are the other wow. barrels that you're using? Uh, well, we we got some used bourbon barrels in the early going okay. as well. Um, you can always buy those from the bourbon guys. I mean, they sell them to Scotland and to the Caribbean for rum makers and, and scotch makers. Um, so we so brought, we brought a few of those in. Um, but uh, yeah, it's ex whiskey barrel, ex bourbon barrel, and uh, we found that you know obviously with the ex bourbon barrels you have to leave it in the barrel for a lot lot longer. So <laughs> that's so. delicious. <laughs> I really, I really appreciate how long it takes you guys to make this. <laughs> right. I sound yeah. high, but I'm not. You, you <laughs> don't, you don't hear of too many, uh, distilleries that are willing to not sell something for the first year and a half. Right. <laughs> right. You said you were producing spirits for three years, but only have been really selling for a year and a half. Yeah. That's been, I mean, the labor of love, and it's almost, you know, it's brought us to our knees. I mean, it's hard to <laughs> sure. make the business work. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of temptation out there to do some sourcing and bring in some outside products and um, try to, you know, get get that money flow coming in to keep the business supported. But we really felt like we had, you know, Dan and I both felt like we had to focus on our own style and, you know, character if we wanted to make something sustainable in the long term. So yeah. make, make our own yeah. style. Well, well I, I think that's a great direction to go in. Uh, I think you're doing it. Yeah. And you're doing it well. Yeah. Thank you. I have a well, little taste of something something here for you, too. Oh. This is oh. another unreleased product. So Hell yeah. <clears throat> we, uh, Let's go. This is not a, going home tonight. a collaboration with a friend of Dan's up in Humboldt County from um, a winery up there. Goodman Wines, and he gave us some, uh, in the early going, to help us learn how to use our equipment properly, (laughs) he gave us a couple of totes of um, Cabernet and um, Pinot Noir uh, wine. Okay. And we distilled them out, and um, so this is uh, pot distilled, double, or this is actually a single run um, brandy uh, made from 
uh, Cabernet and Pinot. Oh. So does single run mean just like with the, the like rum with hogo? The, funky, the hogo rum. You just um, do one, one pass, through pass, the, uh, one really, pass through the One pass through the Really uh, careful, hands-on <laughs> operation the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, no taking your eyes off the still. You're tasting constantly. <laughs> Thank you. you know, for Dan, who's our head distiller, it's it's a much more difficult operation uh, to, sure. do, to do things that way. But you come up with some really unique flavors that way. And do you get hmm. – uh, how does it affect your total yield? Is it less when you just do one pass like that versus if you do multiple definitely, definitely less efficient, a lot less efficient. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the flavor impact is what you're you're hoping to kind of drive. We'd love to have some, some products that are more efficient and some that are more <laughs> you know, interesting and unique right. and artistic. <clears throat> yeah, the, the nose is great. It's like um, – very apple-y. Hmm. It's 100 proof. Brandy, you're going to often see it closer to 80 proof. So. And so this is unreleased so far. It's unreleased. We don't have a label for it. We don't have a plan to make one. <laughs> it's just hanging oh, out. Oh, really? So there's, yeah, there's not even there's, a date on the horizon. Just a lot, there's a lot of things standing in between making this into a product right now. But it's something we love and are excited about. But, mm-hmm. you know, certainly um, we haven't made a lot of it, so it doesn't take priority as far as, right. you know, everything in time. Hustle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's just sitting in a barrel in the corner of the it's, warehouse. That's right. Yeah, we've got it in a couple of those. Uh, we've got a couple of those recouped uh, Limousin oak barrels from mm. up, up at Recoup Barrels in Sebastopol. Mm-hmm. A cool little operation that takes old wine barrels and, you know, makes them – good and new again is there are you choosing to get the recouped because you don't want as much of the wine or or absolutely port flavor yeah. no we didn't we didn't want to overwhelm it with the with the wine or the port okay yeah. to, and, and essentially that's so that way you can age it longer in, in the same barrel versus having to just do like a well a i don't know actually uh, if you were if you were doing it in the the port or wine barrel you'd probably have to leave it for a lot longer to get the the wood contribution out of it than we do with these because in this case you've you've bored they bore out you know a quarter inch of wood and retoast and char so you've exposed some wood that didn't have as much impact on it from the wine mm-hmm. um, so you know in a sense you wouldn't have to age as long to get the oak character um, you also like I said you get more ox- the oxidization a little faster mm-hmm. because you've reduced the thickness of the wood mm-hmm. and the wine character wouldn't necessarily overpower definitely the, not the as heavy character. definitely not as heavy okay that's pretty cool i haven't had too many brandies yeah but uh that's pretty unique from what i have had yeah i have three more over here if you want to try <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh let's do one more okay so let's the, do one more because i gotta get us what out are the here. options well so we've done um a, a collaboration with uh brock sellers in in uh, berkeley um, mm-hmm. He's a natural winemaker, and this is a Valdigui, which for a long time was known as the Napa Gamay, but then they did a DNA test on it and found out it was a different uh, varietal altogether okay. uh, after 100 years or so. <laughs> right. Uh, that's my understanding. I'm, I'm not a, a winemaker, so somebody <laughs> might correct you. Correct me. Um, actually, it was uh... – <laughs> Yeah. If he's wrong, send your answer to feedback. <laughs> right. This is a – um, one thing we're we're interested in and excited about is working on uh, single varietal um, wine brandies. So this is a 100% Valdigui, a natural I'm, wine. I'm trying to say get some glasses so we can try some oh. of the thing, Warren. I was trying not to say it, though. Sign language. 
There are I, so many bottles in between <laughs> what you were trying to point at. I wasn't no, sure what if you were wanting a bottle. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, but what do I know? Anyway, sorry, Earl. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So this is, a, like I said, it's a 100% Valdegui grape um, that Brock Sellers fermented for us and then brought down, and we, we distilled hmm. it out. And now it's been in um, a used oak barrel, uh, an ex-brandy barrel, for a little over a year. Not recouped. Not recouped in this okay. case. Yep. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. Smell the bottle a bit. Just a, a massively different <laughs> nose and character. The color looks quite a bit different, too. The, I mean, yeah. That's uh, the non-recoup barrel, you know. Thank you, Warren. So it's much lighter color. This is 123 proof, so you might <laughs> dribble a little water. <laughs> so the non-recouped barrel would have less color because... The, the the previous brand, or the previous wine had already pulled out those yeah, colors. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's that uh, the the ester heavy well, this is profile. Very different. Yeah, kind of like we saw with the rums. Hmm. But I can see this is when you're saying about the first rum, you're getting kind of a lot of butterscotch. That's what I get out of this, but not in a beer flaw way like we're used to talking about. In a very appealing I get this in butterscotch a, way. I get this in a, a Chardonnay butterscotch yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, I guess that would make sense. Right? Yeah, I think that for me, the, the grape, the, the wine is really forward on this. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a really unique flavor yeah. of, the, of the grape. Hmm. So. Uh, I haven't even tried it yet. I'm, I'm digesting the smell still. Yeah. At 123 proof, I'm also a little nervous. It's fiery. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, I feel like that the the high proof Ooh, helps <laughs> helps with the uh, the the butteriness that would be there to kind of like because to me yes. that would make if you proof this down it would make it a very super slick kind of round flavor mm-hmm. in my mind and so I appreciate the high proof to help kind of cut that a little bit. well and I think you get a lot of grape flavor. Out of it also, and I wonder how that would change if you proof it down. You know what I mean? I mean, like Earl, like Earl was saying, it'll water everything. It'll water down. kind of everything down and kind of bring everything down. And I don't know if this if this would be as impactful. You have to be able to taste the the that base material, whatever you're working with, through the ethanol to get to have that experience. I mean, mm-hmm. and not everyone's palate is adjusted for that. I mean, for me, I you know I I prefer stuff that's between ninety and hundred proof. Dan loves the high proof barrel strength stuff. Mm. Um, you know, it's uh, it's really a personal. You know, I'm more of like an eight proof guy. <laughs> eight proof. Eight okay, proof. so yeah. uh, a double IPA then. <laughs> uh, this is del- this is really good. I don't think yeah. I've, I don't. First of all, I don't think I've ever had whatever grape this was, but uh, I don't think I've ever had 123 proof anything. Yeah, it kind of is like I can definitely see how based on your reaction, <laughs> that it is a shock to the system. Yeah. But I think getting to taste more and more high-proof spirits and, and even things coming directly off of a still, you kind of have to – it especially helps to know. Yeah. You know like you kind of like fasten your seatbelt and get ready because it's going to be a rush right at the beginning. But then if you kind of steady yourself for that. Yes. You, I think if we tasted this at the beginning <laughs> of the show, it would have been a different experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> taste the grape at all. Um, yeah, you, but, but you're you probably kinda, right. You steady yourself for the ethanol. And then once you get past that, you can definitely see, like Earl was saying, all those flavors that do open up afterwards. And, you know, yeah. this is a product like that, 
the Hogo rum where it's it's distilled to proof. We don't there was no water added for barrel aging, so it's um, undiluted flavor, big flavor. And as it sits in your mouth, the kind of after effects, eh, a couple minutes, I get like a watermelon, like a watermelon can, like a watermelon Jolly Rancher, but not 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 sweet and you know saccharine, I guess, whatever. But just that kind of essence of you know light watermelon. I don't know why. I have no idea why. Yeah, I could see that kind of like on the on the lighter fruity, lighter floral like mm-hmm. or like a watermelon. cantaloupe or some sort of like I'm just a light melon mm-hmm. flavor out of it. Yeah, I could see that. Almost like a a, a, a sweet white grape. Like Muscat's yeah. the only one that's coming to mind right now because I yeah. I know like three different types of wine. <laughs> Right. Um, Muscat's one of them, right? And uh, you know Chardonnay. So I've used two of the three yeah. that I and know in the, in the last ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. I really, I really appreciate that you brought those in. Yeah, those well, are thank really you very much. Well, they were for the guys at the winery, but I wasn't able to get in touch with them because they're deep in it with the oh, crush yeah. right now. Oh, for sure. Take yeah. that, guys at the winery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did we say what Ryan, winery? Can we say what winery? Uh, well, we got the Coming. wine from I don't from Brock Cellars and oh, that's right. Yeah, so, okay. Well, Earl, if that's it, I think I think we'll get out of here. Well, so what do you think? Do you guys have a tasting room or something people can come visit? Well, we're working on it. Um, it's been a long process. We pr- put in, pretty much put everything we had into building the distillery out, the equipment, and and uh, putting product in barrels. So yeah. it's uh, we we did get cleared to build a tasting room. Um, couple, last month and that's our next step so if you follow us on social media instagram twitter facebook uh we'll let people know um as soon as that happens but you know with these bureaucracies things move kind of slow and with us it moves slow too (laughs) sure (laughs) i can't blame them entirely so then what where can people find your stuff is it just in california or uh yeah we're only we're only in california right now um we uh do have distribution from humboldt county all the way down to san diego so there's some ability to get a hold of stuff okay. but um a few of the bottle shops will mail to different states so i would check with uh with them independently the whiskey shop san francisco bitters and bottles um uh the cask store um places like that the cask okay. store seems like cask a place stores. that we need to be friends with <laughs> mm, right yeah I, I don't know the the bitters and and what was it bitters and bottles? Bitter, bitter, bitter yeah, and bottles. Yeah. You got to go pay them a visit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Definitely. we should go. That's what we should do. Instead of going bar hopping, we should go bottle shop hopping. Hmm. Right. And then do we get to? Then we have to go back home to drink it, though. That's the problem. Well, we would just go tiki bar hopping at the same time. <laughs> Open our bottles. Is there a corkage fee <laughs> at the tiki bar? No, I don't want to drink. You don't understand. I just want to drink this bottle of uh, of high proof rum that I just bought. <laughs> right. I just bought it, and I can't wait till I get home. I just really like the vibe in here. Is that okay? <laughs> Is that fine? Can I just no? You're leaving me. Okay. Yeah. All right. right. You're, Thank you're you kicking me out. Oh, weird. <laughs> Uh, for more information, you guys, on Wright and Brown Distilling Company, you can go to wbdistilling.com. Earl Brown, thank you very much. I really yeah, appreciate the time that you took to come all the way out here and uh, bring these spirits here. And, and, and the grain, it was, a, it was a whole thing, man. I really appreciate that. Well, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, on the part of Dan and myself, uh, we really appreciate it. So yeah, look for our stuff out there. Yeah, and let us know Absolutely. when the uh, red corn bourbon is ready to go. Please do the that. Bloody butcher. Yeah, the bloody <laughs> the butcher. The bloody butcher. <laughs> 
That sounds good, man. Hey, let's talk cocktails for a second, Warren. Can we please? Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? We love cocktails. It's no secret on this show. Uh, probably a little bit more than beer, to be honest with you. Mm, uh, right now, I would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but specifically, let's talk Shaker and Spoon. And if you've never heard of Shaker and Spoon, it's a great service. Uh, they've been around for a little bit, but what they do is they send you the ingredients to make really nice, uh, dare I say, um, um, culinary level of cocktails at home. You supply yeah. the booze, and they g- give me one of those cards. And, and they actually, cards, uh, they don't just supply you with the ingredients and let you figure it out yourself. They right. do give you instructions. Is this the one that we're, we're drinking today? No, I kept that one for myself. Okay, that no, that's that fine. One. That's fine. Um, so they give you, uh, depending on the level, I guess, it's a, a, a subscription box. It's every month. Right. Uh, and I believe they typically come with three different cocktail recipes and everything you need to make make them. Yeah, which is great. I mean, a splash of soda water, guess what? Soda water's included. Right. Hand-cut lemon peel, guess what? Lemons are in the box. Right. You have to hand-cut them. Right, right, yeah. which is, you know, hey, they're working on it, I'm sure. Right. Um, homemade grenadine. They have they have gren- yeah. they have they have a uh, craft grenadine. Everything yeah. is super high quality. The lemons are are nice and firm and they smell great. The limes that we got are real oh, yeah. nice too. Yeah, the citrus is fresh in here. And it's pretty cool, dude. Uh shakerandspoon.com. So this box is all about gin. Yeah, this is their uh first of their book box series, the first generation. Oh, I get it. Um yeah. So the book box, so what what are they doing? I I think uh they're they're taking um, recipes from well, they're just bartending books, so, drinks books, right? Right. So I think they picked three of their favorite uh, recipe books mm-hmm. and picked uh, a recipe from each one of them, and they all were a, a gin cocktail. I don't honestly, and I'm being completely 100% honest, I do not know how this hasn't been a thing already. Right. I mean, it, it's brilliant. Oh, it's yeah. It's super brilliant. Well, now it is. Because we have this box. <laughs> Correct. Right. But I guess like before, like it's not just a, a common thing where, I mean, we all like cocktails at home. But, oh, yeah. And I have a liquor cabinet full of stuff, especially from doing this show, but just from right. collecting over the years. Sure. I don't know what the hell to do with it. I have no, I have, I have so many hopped whiskey. I have so many just this random stuff. I have a bunch of gins. Right. I have a bunch of, uh, you know, I have some vodka, but I don't really drink vodka, so I don't ever mm-hmm. know what to do with it. This helps you get through all of your surplus if you're like me or... If you're weird and not like me and don't have a whole lot of liquor on hand, this will open your eyes to different kinds of liquors to go and get. I mean, I know right. gin isn't super unknown to everybody, but there's a lot of different kinds of craft gins out there. It's a great introduction to whether or not you have a, a bottle of spirits in your cabinet that you don't know what to do with, or if they just say, hey, we're going to have a rum box next month, which yeah. is what November is, by the way. I'm really excited um, about that, dude, <laughs> especially it, it, drinking yeah. the rum tonight. Oh, yeah. Dude, I'm um, ready for that. I'm ready for that. Good thing I took a little sample of it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's a great way to uh, try new cocktails. Like One thing I liked about the Blue Apron experience is yeah. it, it forces you to drink out – well, not Blue Apron. This forces you to drink outside the box for what you're normally used to. Like when yes. I'm looking up a recipe online for a cocktail, I'm kind of s- filtering through like, oh, I don't – I don't even like the idea of this cocktail. Like, right. Well, they're here. The ingredients are here. So at least try it once. And, Correct. And you'll just find something you'll love. Well, and so I got turned on to them through uh, a friend of my wife's, actually. She lives in Utah. Okay. Very hard to get liquor there, apparently. That's true. Yeah. And so someone gave it to her as a gift. And I'm like, wow, this is really neat. So she brought some out. And, it, dude, the drink had dehydrated strawberries and oh, coconut yeah. milk. Okay. And it was a um, cachaça liqueur which oh, it, which is like a yeah. like a like brazilian, brazilian agricole cocktail? i think yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But I didn't have that, so I had like a Martinique kind of style rum. So Mm -hmm. it's still kind of funky, but I looked it up. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have it, and like, I don't know, I don't even know where to get it. Right. So, uh, but I substituted liquor, and it was great. Mm. It was really good. Yeah. And I would never in a million years, had I looked through a recipe book or a cocktail (laughs) book and saw... Coconut milk and dehydrated. I would have uh, next skip. Exactly. I would have skipped it. Right. Um, so you're absolutely right. It. it, it I don't want to say forces you, but it encourages you to broaden yes. yourself a little bit because cocktails are more than add a little bit of water to bourbon and yeah. that's your you know maybe a little vermouth and then you right. call it like good. So and, and if you are if you do uh, sign up for a subscription to this, you do have the option to skip. A month, like if you, oh if yeah, for some for reason sure. you really hate rum, which is a mistake. <laughs> right, you could skip next month's box. Skip yourself, kid. Yeah. So this has uh, this total box serves twelve cocktails, four per recipe. Yeah. So it's also not just one ounce of booze. <laughs> right. It's a thing, right? Yeah, you, you can, can actually sit down and make a cocktail. Yeah, you can. You can have friends over. Yeah. Imaginary friends, and then you get four cocktails. <laughs> That's right. And they have a glossary too, right? So you got uh, what the barware is, so what a bar spoon is. Maybe people is it, is that people like don't a spoon know. That's a, in a bar? Yeah, a okay. jigger. Maybe some some people don't know. And yeah. then also, the terminology of what's actually in those recipes—a citrus wheel, right, or whatever, oh, or yeah. a dash. This is the big thing. I Ooh, what, the, the question I had. Yeah, what is the definition? Traditionally, cocktail recipes are written using dashes as measurements, like a dash of bitters, yes. the Peychaud's bitters. Right. Well, this uh, the shaker and spoon box comes with a little eyedropper. Okay, it's a little tiny. So uh, they say, though they don't have to be perfectly, perfectly precise, one dash is equal to approximately one-eighth teaspoon. For okay. our recipes, a dash is equal to about one-half full dropper. Oh, okay. So you don't have to worry about dashes. You can, you, you can measure it all. You can still be measuring, you know, you can still measure out all your stuff. Right. But like they say, it doesn't have to be precise. It's, okay. It is like cooking. Right, and with, especially with bitters, just like salt and pepper, you, you do season to taste. Season to taste, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Man, Blue Apron is all about that because oh, my right. wife and I do Blue Apron, and it's like, dude, season to taste, season with salt and pepper to taste, season to taste. Uh, I get it. <laughs> We're going to just season to taste. That's just the overwhelming yeah. theme. Of Add the your entire steak thing. to your skillet to taste. <laughs> right. Uh, so, what cocktail are we? We so, so we uh, brought some gin. Warren this, brought yes. some gin from a previous guest. Yes, uh, from Seven Three Distilling. They're That's the, right. Uh, from uh, in Nolans. In Nolans, yes. uh, infused with persimmon and elderflower. Yes. Which I'm excited because, again, this just kind of showcases what you can do. I brought Beef Eater Gin because that's yeah. all I had at home, really. And, and uh, we haven't had them on the show yet. That's right. And Warren's like, no, dude, let's, we can kind of go upscale on this, too. So you can also figure out, because each kit makes four recipes, right, or four drinks per right. recipe, yes. you can figure out what kind of spirit works best with the ingredients that they gave. Oh, right. You don't have to put the same gin in all four uh, right. cocktails. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can experience, especially with a, a spirit like gin that has so yeah. much variety. Right. Any, especially any, now. Uh, right. You know? Yeah. Gin is what, huge what right What the now. West is doing for craft gin. <laughs> so what are we yeah. drinking? Uh, so this is the uh, Kitashima. 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 Yeah. Um, Kitashima. It's... Uh, Got uh, the 7-3 gin in it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then it also has uh, some strawberry shiso ume shrub. Okay. Um, See, again, something I would never go out and look for. Oh, I didn't even know it was a thing Yeah, and, until and they sent it. Apparently a sh- shrub is like, it's just a, a, like an elixir that you add. I don't know why it's yeah. called shrub. 
I know um, it, is, it is kind of a shrub is a term for some sort of bar mixer. Ah, um, okay. So this is just strawberry, strawberry shiso ume ingredients: filtered water, cane sugar, strawberry, sour plum. Okay. Because it does have kind of a vinegar. It's pretty tart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, apple cider vinegar. We'll see. There you oh, go. There, Shiso yeah. leaf and citric acid. Okay. Wow, oh. it, it smells. I'm smelling it right now. It's you, umami, I guess. I'd yeah. be, I I definitely get the plum, mm-hmm. definitely get strawberry, and then vinegar. It's very su- bright. I kind of want to drink it, to be honest. <laughs> you it, can. It's almost like a kombucha or like a, like sipping vinegars, right? It, it does remind me of kombucha. I kind of yeah. want to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> I might do that later. Um, but yeah, so it's got that, uh, half ounce of lemon juice, uh, and then a little bit of club soda. And uh, I had to slice one lemon wheel. Wow. Are you okay with that? Are you going to be Well, right? I did it. I guess you have to decide how good I did it. All right. Here we go. The cocktail. Well, it smells good. And, and part of me thinks that I can pick out the elderflower from the gin. Oh, yeah? Or the, not the elder, the persimmon. Okay. But I don't know. Now reading the ingredients of the um, of the shrub, I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I really don't <laughs> right. know. But it works. It works really well because, like you said, there's so much in gin going on these days. Some of it might not work well. I definitely think the 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 floral kind of berry sweetness that is in the gin is definitely helping. Uh, mm. It, it, bound, yeah, it, it uh, goes well with the strawberry and plum. Oh, yeah. Yeah, smell the bottle, and then you smell right. the glass. Yes. Yeah, it definitely works. Okay, let's drink this. Enough talking about it. Mmm. Oh, dude. That's a slammer. That's what yeah. I would call a slammer. That's something that I would totally pass by on a menu. Right. Just reading it. But then if I got to taste it, and it was a hot summer day, dude, keep them coming. Well, and so here's my problem uh, with a lot of things in life and whatever. <laughs> You're not adventurous. Extend this out <laughs> only in certain areas oh, okay. that we should talk about off the air. Um, you can extend this out to any point in my life if you want. It, oh. Where it's it's it, if it's too complex, I'm not interested in it. Too many little unknown. Yeah, variables. or or if it if it feels <laughs> this is going to sound harsh, maybe. If it feels like it's over engineered, I, I just I don't care about it because mm. it, it's not to me it's not going to be good. Okay, right? Yeah. But what I love about this drink is that it is, <laughs> and it literally proves me wrong. Right. Yeah. And so now I'm so I drink this drink and I go I'm a idiot. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm an idiot. There's actually things out there that I would enjoy right. if I just gave myself an opportunity. And uh, to be honest, that and I don't want to like be too much of a shill uh, about the service, but mm-hmm. that's what the, that's what this box does. That's what these recipes do. Like you said, I would look over it and, and, and I would read this in a menu. Go, what is a shiyu whatever shrub? I would. Yeah. I'd be like, nah, give me a Manhattan. Right. That's really boring. Yeah, we're trying to elevate your cocktail game here a little bit. Yeah, expose you to new things. Think about different ingredients, and then also, if you are gonna, you, since you do have the chance to try it with a different gin, yeah, then you get to think about when the box runs out. You can go out and find that ingredient and be like, okay, yeah. now I had this other gin that this is going to make a really cool cocktail I think with. You were telling me you can buy these the individual ingredients from the website too, right? Yes. So in addition to signing up for the subscription. You can go back, uh, and they have a store where you can buy the equipment, little bar materials that you need, tools yeah. you need to make the cocktails, and kind of re-up. They have full boxes of the ba- a backlog of a few months that you can wow. go back and get. Or you can also buy the individual 
little containers of like this strawberry uh, shrub. Yeah, because where are you going to get that? I feel right. like that's just made for them. Yeah, dude, this is really good. Yeah, I'm. Totally I really like it. This right now. I can't finish it though because I have to drive half an hour home. <laughs> I don't have gin breath. Well, we could just finish the rest of this box and then drive <laughs> tomorrow. Drive home. Twelve tomorrow. cocktails. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this. Um, well, the people over at uh, Shaker and Spoon were nice enough to uh, give us our own URL. Oh, so if you, go I thought to, they were just giving us the box. Well, they gave us that also. Ah, uh, nice. But they gave us a gift and you a gift, All listeners. Right. If you go uh, to shakerandspoon.com slash BNARMY, yes. uh, you can get $20 off of your cart. Wow. So whether it's sign up for a subscription, um, you can just buy month to month, but it's oh, costs okay. a little bit more. Sure. Uh, uh, but, understandable, yeah. right? Um, but you, uh, you get 20 bucks off. Just go to shakerandspoon.com backslash BNARMY. Okay. B-N-A-M-B-N-A-R-M-Y. <laughs> That's how good the cocktail is. Yeah, for sure. Um uh, and like I hinted at, uh, next month is the box is called Rums of Origin. They're going to have a cocktail uh, from a bartender from three different countries, Cuba, Barbados, and Venezuela. Dude, Venezuela. See, th- yeah. again, I would see Venezuelan rum or Venezuelan cocktail. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know, I don't know enough about it <laughs> to know about it. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, do you, it's some you weird shelter. rums before? Cuban rums? Yeah. I've had one. I've had the oh, okay. Havana Club. But the Venezuelan rums? Oh, no. Okay. I've never had a Venezuelan rum. I didn't even know Venezuela produced rum. I didn't either. I, have no, I would have no idea. But now I'm really excited about it. Right. And now I want to source some of this stuff. <laughs> right. Now your liquor cabinet is going to get more full. <laughs> yeah. I, I need to build it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. Um, but yeah, this this service is super cool. I'm, I'm excited to try the rest of these cocktails in here. Yeah. Me too. Man, God, I, we're, we're doing this segment, and I keep going back to these spirits that uh, that Earl brought in, specifically that uh, that Hogo rum. I really, I like this. Yeah, I I can't remember the last time I've seen a distillery that only does whiskey and rum instead of yeah. any clear spirits. None of these were clear. No, none the of these night. clear. Yeah, no gins, no vodkas, yeah. or whatever. Not it doing gives it. me hope. <laughs> You're like anti clear spirit boy. Right. I want to see color. Do you though? I want to see something. That's my <laughs> just, life goal. Just anything. I just, I just, I'm tired of not seeing anything. Yeah, something, please. <laughs> well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Heads and Tails. You can find more shows like this. Well, actually, that's a lie. There's no shows like this on the Brewing Network um, because we're the only show that deals with craft spirits. Right. But you can find other episodes of this show. That's true. This is episode the- twelve, dude. Wow. We are getting so old. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 12, everybody. Okay, have a happy October. Be safe out there for Halloween. And uh, we'll catch you in November with another show. Get ready. (laughs) Thanks a lot.